Welcome to From Duck Till Dark, Outside the Marvel Studios. An audio celebration of the films based on Marvel Comics characters released before and during the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Enough said. Face front, true believers, this is George Soroy, and welcome to the latest episode of From Duck Till Dark, Outside the Marvel Studios. This is a show that is brought into existence because of the National Podcast Post-Month Challenge. So I am so thrilled to be doing this challenge once again and doing this show once again. I'm glad that uh, that I was able to pick it back up from its run in 2019 completely level it, start from scratch, and give it the best possible presentation, mainly because there could be a future for this show. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what the potential season two will be like. All I know is that there is definitely something here, and I feel like these movies that I'm covering here on this show throughout November and the beginning of December definitely deserve to be celebrated more. They should not be just kind of cast aside in favor of everything that came after in 2008 with the birth of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, I'm not saying that to be anti-MCU. I love the MCU. I think it's fantastic. I think it's just an amazing achievement in storytelling. And I am really anxious to see where it goes next, especially through phase four. I mean, like we're already at the third movie already in phase four. So things are definitely, you know, so, you know, pretty interesting. And then there's a fourth film that's coming out at the end of December, which is, I believe, going to revive so much of what has been lying dormant all these years for all of these different movies that are part of the Marvel legacy. And there's one movie in particular that is part of the Marvel legacy, whether Marvel likes it or not. And it's something that I believe everyone involved really needs to get more credit than they are due. And that movie is the 2003 Ang Lee-directed Hulk. I've never seen a more polarizing movie when it comes to when it comes to this comic book movie genre. There are so many different people that consider themselves almost like suckered in because of the because of the advertising campaign that Universal Pictures did. Um, they really am, put all the emphasis on the action when this movie really just had a fraction of that. Um, but I understand why. Because you have to put together a proper movie trailer based on a Marvel Comics character. You got to bring them in as much as possible. And just like a lot of the other movies, this one has one heck of an interesting road to development. This started development back in 1990, the same year that, that there was the Death of the Incredible Hulk movie. And... If anyone has seen that, it was definitely a disappointment. There was no real lead up to the death. It just kind of happened right at the last like five minutes or so. But it was the closing of the book when it came to the Bill Bixby Lou Ferrigno series. It started with that uh, very successful series for several years from the late 70s to the early 80s. And then you had in 1988... Um, and then 89 and then 90, you had three different movies. You had The Incredible Hulk Returns, which had him team up with Thor. 
Then you had uh, Trial of the Incredible Hulk, which had him working with Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil. And then you had this one here, Death of the Incredible Hulk. And there was no team up. This was just him. And we weren't going to see that iteration of the Hulk on television ever again. Sadly, Bill Bixby would would pass away in the early 90s. We were not going to have that iteration of the Hulk. So Hulk was kind of uh, just hanging out in limbo, but it was not ignored because uh, producer Avi Arad was working with Gail Ann Hurd. And Gail Ann Hurd is uh, still a huge name in the entertainment industry. She had worked quite a bit with James Cameron, working with him on The Terminator and was also the producer of Aliens. She was also involved in Terminator 2, and she's also one of the producers of The Walking Dead. Avi and, and Gail set up the property over at Universal Pictures back in 1992, and they also brought in a screenwriter named Michael France, and they also brought in Stan Lee. Universal wanted to have the Hulk battle terrorists, and Michael France didn't really like that. He wasn't a big fan. So they wound up another writer, a gentleman named John Terman. And he came in to write the script in 1994, and he got Stanley's approval. And mainly because the main things that he was doing was he, during the 10 drafts that he wrote, he was focusing the Hulk on going against General Ross and the military. Now, that's getting right into Stanley's wheelhouse right there because he was also he was also able to bring in Rick Jones, the kid that gets uh, that that was sent out on a dare to get really close to the atomic testing site, and which prompted Bruce Banner to run out and save his life. And as soon as he got out of range, that's when the whole gam gamma bomb exploded, and he was coated with the gamma rays and. That led us to the creation of Hulk. He even brought in a character that was teased at in The Incredible Hulk in 2008, the MCU one, and that was the leader. And so there was a lot that was going on um, with this, with with, uh, with these drafts. And they even brought in, they even brought in uh, the character of Brian Banner, the father of Bruce Banner. Universal was kind of iffy about that script, but at the same time, it incorporated a lot of what makes the Hulk the Hulk. And so there was, you know, several other people that came in. Gail Ann Hurd brought in her husband, Jonathan Hensley. Um, remember that name because you're going to hear that name again very, very soon on this show. And they brought in ILM to create a CGI version of the Hulk. They had Joe Johnston coming aboard. He would he was the director of The Rocketeer. He would later be the director of Captain America, the first Avenger, and also the director of Jurassic Park 3. So the guy's definitely been around. And so there was a whole lot that was going on, some back and forth and a lot of different people and everything. One of the other writers that came in was David Hayter, the, the screenwriter that solidified 2000's X-Men. And so he came in and he was working on bringing in the leader and also brought in the Absorbing Man as one of the villains. Eventually, Ang Lee comes aboard, of all people, in 2001. And Ang Lee was just coming off the success of the amazing Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And he brought with him his collaborator, James Seamus. And so the two of them started working together on the latest drafts of the script. And so he was able to take Brian Banner, Bruce's father, 
rename him. I thought this was brilliant. They renamed him David Banner as an homage to the character that that Bill Bixby played in the 70s Hulk. He was originally going to be Bruce Banner on the television show, but with some extreme short-sightedness from the network, they said no, because Bruce sounds homosexual. So they made him David Banner against Stan Lee's wishes. And so he was able to compromise and give him the middle name of Bruce. So you see at the beginning of every episode of The Incredible Hulk, you see David Bruce Banner on that headstone. So that way everyone believes that he is dead. So having David Banner come in and be the father and set it up so that way there is a little bit of a Greek tragedy element in there by having David testing, doing several different experiments on himself and while doing that, conceiving a son. And so he had passed on a lot of what he had experimented on onto his son, Bruce. And you get to see like that he was able to basically like absorb a lot of a lot of what was tested on and to the point where you can see like some visible changes whenever he gets when whenever he gets upset as a baby. And so it was a combination of that plus the gamma blast that he gets hit by that sparks everything, which I thought was brilliant. I thought that was a, a great, great addition there because just having the gamma, the gamma explosion, it wasn't enough. There needed to be that extra element so that way you have not only you have it so that way Bruce is very much like a one of a kind kind of person. It was that specific combination that created the Hulk. It wasn't just the Gamma Blast. And you also have this resentment, deep resentment from David Banner because everything that he was hoping to gain from these experiments was passed on to his son. He didn't he didn't keep it. It was all it was all given to Bruce. And He's looking at Bruce as someone who just doesn't appreciate what the gift that he was given. And so it's it's pretty remarkable the way the whole thing was put together. And I say that it's polarizing because, like I said earlier, the marketing department really just put the emphasis on action, 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 action. And there is some action. There is a decent amount of action in this movie. But it's in between a lot of really meaty dramatic moments and a lot of people were not patient with that and especially considering the fact that you have Eric Bana as Bruce Banner playing this character who is so it was a living embodiment of a piano wire about to snap and it's it creates this very like uneasy kind of performance like you just know that he's going to go he's going to go nuts and the problem is with Hulk and this was something that was that was addressed years later when people were asking why there wasn't going to be a solo Hulk film in the MCU after The Incredible Hulk from 2008 and someone once said, I think it was I'm not sure if it was Kevin Feige or someone else but they said that Hulk is trying to is trying to suppress what we all want to come out he wants we want him to be angry. We want him to become become the Hulk. And he's the one that's trying to keep it all bottled up. And so by doing that, it creates this weird 
this weird sort of feeling with uh, with him as the solo character, but he plays better when he has someone else to play off of. That's why Thor Ragnarok is looked at in in such high regard, and rightfully so. It's a fantastic movie. So here we have we have Eric Mann as Hulk. We have Jennifer Connelly as as Betty Ross, and doing a solid job. As Betty Ross, I I had no issues at all with Jennifer Connelly. I thought she did a great job with it. Um, Sam Elliott, God bless him, as Thunderbolt Ross. The man was right out of the comics. It was perfect casting, and he was he was once again just remarkable. Sam is someone who can. He's one of those people that can take a good script and make it a better script, just by having him in it. And then you have Nick Nolte as David Banner. Just this, just this wad of bitterness that comes out of him. And he only gets some sort of satisfaction when he realizes, when he, when he tests the, uh, the gamma equipment on himself and he winds up becoming the absorbing man, he realized like they, he's got something, something out of all of this. And it just feels like he is, uh, is trying to hold on to that trying to hold on to that power. There's a lot that goes that that's that goes into this movie and it's I honestly think that this is one of those that desperately needs a revisit from a lot of people. I think that this is one of those that that really went out of its way to try something different. I think that and and I think it needs to be commended for that. I I I really loved the uh, the transitions that Ang Lee kept putting in these almost like comic panels as they were going through. It gave it it gave the whole thing like a real extra element of life to it, really extra energy. And Danny Elfman with only thirty seven days to put together that score, I thought it was solid. It's it's not one of his best works, but at the same time, I think he did a perfectly good job with it. I thought it was ultimately better than what he would do on Justice League in two thousand seventeen um, under the same circumstances. And for me, it was like, as I was going through it, I was, I was really invested in it. I was wrapped up in it. I was, I was looking forward to seeing how the whole thing would turn out. And then about 20 minutes before the end of the movie, maybe 25 minutes, all of a sudden there is a whole scene, maybe five minutes long, no score, no lighting, really. It's just one in, in a hangar in an airplane hangar with two chairs, Bruce on one side, looking over at David. And the two of them have one of the most compelling exchanges of dialogue in a comic book film. It's absolutely tremendous. And for me, that's what really makes this movie great because this is supposed to be ramping up toward the big climax. And instead it's quiet and it's, and it's, laser focused and the two of them are just going at it with each other and some of the stuff that uh, that David says to his son is is great it is is it's amazing the sort of stuff that he says like it's he definitely is not <laughs> someone that you just can't you can't sympathize with like the the way that he everything that he says when he says I got news for you I didn't come to see you I came here to see my son, my real son, the one inside of you. You're nothing but a 
superficial shell, a husk of flimsy consciousness ready to be torn off at a moment's notice. Like, that's great stuff right there. And I am... I, I was really taken by that, and I loved the guts that it took to do it. Now, granted, like as it goes on, all of a sudden, like the climax immediately kicks in when David grabs the the big wire and becomes absorbing man, really just fully realized. And they go through this whole sequence that's very similar. I haven't seen something like this since two thousand one. Like it's it it. It's very visual. It's very captivating. It's not something that you can just kind of put on and then walk away. It's got a real different kind of energy to it. And I really liked it. And I remember when I came out of it with my friend David and we got home, we were both into it. We were both really into it. And my friend Joe, who would be the best man at my wedding, asked me flat out, just like, well, you know, like, what'd you think? And I said, I loved it. I thought it was great. You're going to hate it. (laughs) I just said that like right out, just like, no, like this is not your typical comic book film. This is something different. This is something ballsy. This is something uh, really special. It's a special kind kind of film that needs to be revisited. And I just knew that if he saw it, he would hate it because it's not what Universal wanted to wanted to deliver. And you can see that with the general audience because it started off huge, made over 60 million its first weekend, and then it dropped over 70% in week two. So yeah, the public wasn't happy with it, but I stand by my feelings for it. I thought it was, I thought it was quite good. I feel like it definitely needs a revisit and I'm still kind of torn of where I'm going to rank it when all is said and done. I know I need to get back to the ranking of, of these movies, um, Hopefully I will soon, but before it gets way too far into this into this run. But I definitely feel like 2003's Hulk, directed by Ang Lee, needs needs some additional rewatching, especially these days when people are looking at the MCU as something that is so formulaic and it's just spitting out like one thing after another. Granted, I'm not hearing that with the Eternals, but I'm also not hearing all the best things regarding Eternals. I'd still like to see it. I mean, just like uh, just like people weren't saying the best things about Hulk. This could be the Hulk of the MCU. Who knows? But that makes me want to see it. And I am um, I hope that uh, I hope that there are more comic book movies like this overall. I feel like uh, they definitely need to bring this kind of element out there. And I look forward to all of your feedback on this one. So please feel free to check out the Facebook page at facebook.com slash from duck till dark. Would love to hear your feedback on 2003's Hulk. And until the next time, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward and Excelsior. I'll see you tomorrow.